the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Jarrell says it would help if I turned my microphone on. <laughs> really? You know, I thought strategically if I left just well enough alone, I could have talked to myself in here for the next couple of hours and... Uh, uh, it w- would be, though. R- your ratings might double. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, I appreciate you, Mr. Martin, for uh, letting me know my microphone was turned off. And I, I may need more assistance as the as the the day grows longer and I grow weaker <laughs> in any event. Great to have you on board. What I was saying before I was not on the air was welcome to the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Trust you're having a great week so far. We've got a jam-packed program for you tonight. We're going to break it down, as it were, talk a bit about a lot of the stuff going on in the news um, post State of the Union address. And um, if you thought the president stirred it up on Tuesday, uh, Congress helped to stir things up even further so on Wednesday. And here to try to make sense of it all on Thursday is Joyce Cordy. Joyce, of course, is the founder and president of Reimagine America. She hosts a very informative and engaging talk show Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer, called, appropriately enough, Reimagine America. And, boy, if there was ever a time we needed to reimagine America different than where we're at today, at least politically, uh, this is probably it, Joyce. Uh, Let's begin first with some of the headline news today. Uh, The Dow, down over 200 points. This submitted a report that indicates a president, a meeting that had been scheduled between President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping is unlikely to happen prior to the March trade deadline, which has a lot of importers concerned that suddenly we're going to see a major uptick in the tariffs. At the end of the day, we know governments don't really pay those taxes. Consumers do. And uh, as a result, investors on Wall Street not reacting very kindly to this news. Well, I don't blame those investors. Um, It has serious implications for um, our economy in terms of whether or not we were only predicting 1% gross domestic product increase this year anyway, while between the shutdown and a 25% tariff on industrial goods uh, and a reduction in the size of our export markets, um, you know, I mean, hang on to your portfolio. Yeah, indeed so. And and it's got a lot of people concerned. I mean, I, I there there seems to be general consensus that approaching the issue of the trade imbalance is is long overdue. Um, at a time when when China was this fledgling, struggling little wannabe country, uh, maybe helping them out uh, and allowing uh, this imbalance to take place uh, maybe was a good thing. I don't know. Uh, but certainly it no longer is. They no longer are a fledgling, challenging, struggling little country, but in fact becoming a major economic superpower. And the notion that uh, when we import things here, we charge them 2%. When we export to them, they charge 25 um, is an issue that long ago should have been addressed. That said, 
is the approach from from a business perspective, and you're uniquely qualified to to touch on this given your your many years in corporate America. From a business perspective, is this the kind of answer where you need to go in and rip the bandage all off at the same time as the president has done, or would this would this work better if we tried to do it in increments? Meaning, okay, we're going to raise it five percent this year, and we're going to take it to ten next year, and fifteen the following. In other words, put it in over a, a period of time on a graduated basis, as opposed to suddenly saying, effective this date, we're coming at you for two hundred and fifty billion. No. I, 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 I would have approached it in an entirely different way. You have to look at what's good for you as well as what will be um, uncomfortable for our friends in China. All right. Number one, we let, you know, our, our focus on um, consumerism uh, allowed the imbalance to grow, beginning with Japan, post-war Japan, and then um, China and now uh, other parts of the Far East. So the issue, one of the reasons that they're going to have the meeting in Vietnam uh, between uh, Kim and Trump is so Trump can show how being a buddy with the U.S. after you've had a big war can be beneficial to you economically. So when you're not seeing made in China in the label in your clothes, it now says made in Vietnam. And by the way, those are driven by Chinese companies. So what should have happened, the dumping of steel is a major issue. It's a major issue to all of of the the so-called free world. It's an issue to cut to to us. It destroyed our steel industry. It is damaging to Canada. It is damaging to the the European Union. And if Trump had said, you know, we got to stop this, guys, my allies... Here's what we're going to do. We could have structured that um, uh, the sanctions on dumping Chinese steel um, in a in a far more collaborative fashion. Which, without a tariff, the anti-dumping rules of the World Trade Organization, without a tariff, we could have um, brought the Chinese to the negotiating table. You have to look at what these tariffs are doing to the Midwest. We are having record numbers of um, farm. I, I was reading today in the Wall Street Journal about a five-generation farm that had to declare bankruptcy. Um, our our major exports to China are agricultural. Yeah, they've stopped farms. buying largely our soybeans and our rice. Uh, not that they and don't need pork. it, but they find out that they can source it elsewhere cheaper. And, and certainly there's no doubt a little bit of a, um, a vindictive uh, <laughs> grain of salt in all of this, that they're going to say, okay, fine, be that way. You're going to charge us more. We'll just take our business elsewhere. Go, to, go back to Smooth Holly, Craig. That's exactly what happened. And what and the and you're correct. The issue is when you lose those markets for America's wonderful farm products, then you lose them forever. Those markets are not going to come back because these are lower cost producers in Brazil and so forth, in soybeans and other things. And pork has been one of our. In fact, one of the big Chinese companies tries to buy um, uh, a, a major Smith Wesson a major pork producer here in the United States, and it was stopped uh, in the Obama administration on national security ba- um, basis. But the the jobs that went, the low 
you know, the, the consumer goods jobs that went are gone. They're not coming back. I don't care how you tariff it. Okay. The places we needed to attack um, our trade relationship with China, and I use the word attack, you know, for a specific reason, was we needed to, uh, they are our biggest threat in terms of intellectual property theft, uh, national security, etc. Not really the Russians who posture but don't have any money. It's the Chinese. Okay. How the heck? Um, and, and so if we had attacked, you know, their intellectual theft issues more robustly in, in previous years, and we need to give Chris Ray and the FBI real credit for what they've done in the last 18 months in terms of catching these guys red-handed, along with the CIA, but if we were more restrictive about Chinese um, in, uh, uh, foreign students in our colleges and universities, if the, if the state of California had not given all of that steel technology um, and money to the Chinese to build the most modern, efficient uh, steel production plant in the, in the world so that they could float the parts back to be what we today call the Bay Bridge, and you wonder why the rivets don't fit, um, you know, it, it, those were the areas where we needed to put our foot down and say, we know... You know, you're spying on us, um, your intellectual property transfer when you can't buy it or, or, or steal it um, uh, inhibits our innovation, you know, does damage to our innovation economy. Um, it's an unfair trading practice. We've focused on those things. But to say, oh, we're going to put big tariffs on. Tariffs didn't work in the 1930s. Tariffs didn't work except to fund the United States government in the 19th century. You know, that used to be our principal source of, before we were an industrial nation, that was the principal source of revenue for the federal government. So this makes no sense. It's, it's bad economically for us, and, it's, and for God's sake, it's a, it's a national security nightmare. Yeah, and that just goes to the heart of the challenge here, and that is that it isn't that these issues don't need to be done. It's that they haven't been done for so long, and I really lay the responsibility, as the president does, uh, for the, the, the lack of proper negotiations, the lack of proper reaction and action in relationship to intellectual property theft. I mean, let's face it, largely the Chinese invent absolutely nothing. What they do is they, they take all of our technology and they either buy it from us and then <laughs> they clone it or they steal it from us and they build it. And we've let them get away with this scot-free for years and years and years. So now we're trying to kind of get caught up on all of this and do it all in one fell swoop. Well, certainly uh, President Xi doesn't want this all coming down on his head on Beijing all at once. So, of course, they're going to give pushback, and they're going to push back as far as they possibly can. And when they look at some of the weakened positions that we have um, on on a global stage in relationship to um, everything going on with uh, the U.S. and Russia, real, imagined, um, made up out of whole cloth, uh, wherever you come down on this, you know, it's always typically the optics, not not what reality is, but what the perception of reality is that can tend to colorize these kinds of negotiations. And if they think for a moment they have us in a compromised position where they can take advantage of us, they will certainly do it. I think the big disconnect here for me, Joyce, and I want to have you comment on this after the break, and that is the total utter disconnect 
that this nation, for the better part of 70 years, was actively engaged in the so-called Cold War between the United States. Then we knew it as the Soviet Union, today Russia, but largely, logistically the same. 70 years engaged in a Cold War, we understood that Russia, the Soviet Union, was not only our enemy of democracy, was a moral enemy of ours, was a spiritual enemy of ours at so many multiple levels, and so we conducted our relationship with them accordingly. And over the last 30-something years, uh, largely at, at two levels between most favored nation trade status negotiations that Mr. Clinton got behind on behalf of China and, and Mr. Nixon before that opening the doors, and then where we've been in this tenuous relationship with Russia since the collapse of communism in the early 1990s, we, we've suddenly just, bygones be God, bygones, forgotten all of history. And so then when later on these nations emerge as the same enemies of us that they were 70 years ago, we wonder what happened. We, we act as if we somehow missed the memo. No, we didn't miss the memo. We just forgot history. We'll take a time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation, breaking down some of the headline news. Of course, uh, a lot of this in the wake of the president's delayed State of the Union address, the reaction by Congress. We'll talk a bit about investigations, whether or not they are ultimately more harmful than good. As we continue getting some perspective from Radio talk show host, the founder and president of Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. More information on the web at reimagineamerica.org. All right, 517 on the clock. We swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center where we get an update for you here with Michael Bennett. Hey, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back, our conversation with talk show host Joyce Cordy, host of Reimagine America, heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. We've been talking a bit about uh, not just the reaction of Wall Street today to news that the meeting that had been planned between President Trump and uh, Communist Chinese President uh, Xi has been delayed and will perhaps not happen at all prior to the March deadline, which means the promises of the increase in the trade wars, uh, the trade tariffs, will take place automatically unless the president reverses his decision. That being the case, with no opportunity to negotiate, it looks like game on between the two sides. That's certainly not being voted very well as uh, encouraging news to investors on Wall Street today. And, you know, maybe I'm showing my age here, Joyce, but I grew up in a day and an age when we had, uh, you know, atomic bomb drills, and uh, it was sort of uh, very much front and center as we learn civics and history class that the Soviet Union, certainly post-World War II and on, had become a, um, a traditional ideological and military enemy of the United States. Thankfully, we never fought any war directly. We usually did it through third parties, be it uh, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, China. But all of that said, I have to wonder, is much of this a product of the fact that we seemingly have forgotten history here? And this is sort of now time to pay the piper as a result? Uh, yeah. Um, to an extent, um, 
we are uh, let's put it let's let's put it this way. I mean, you forgot Syria in your list of and Syria and most recently Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, up until this presidency, we've had an awareness. Okay, a couple of things happened historically. Um, you know, the you you pointed to one the the decline of um, and and dissolution of the Soviet Union was kind of a phew moment. We talked about the peace dividend in the Clinton years, okay, while selling our souls for cheap consumer goods to Japan and China. Um, you were right that we saw the opening to China as an opening for markets for us that kind of got away with, oh, everybody loved all these cheap goods and the television, and it, it made our middle class feel richer. Okay, so from uh, the problem with American politics is we are short-term thinkers, you know, uh, very short-term thinkers, because the guy runs for election and says, I'm going to do A, I'm going to do B, I'm going to bring back jobs, I'm going to restore coal, blah, blah, blah. And four years later, none of that happened. Okay, so then it goes, well, I'm going to restore jobs, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Now, um, health care costs, we're going to go to single payer. We, we've been here before, okay? Um, we forget. We're very transactional in our politics, um, and that's reflected in our economy, and the Chinese are not, nor are the Russians. And so we sometimes, our intelligence service, I think, has made great strides. They understand that the existential threat of an atomic war is frankly unthinkable to the Russians, to the Chinese, and to us. Okay? Because we all collectively have too much at stake. And then you have the rogue actors who want to be big boys like the North Koreans and the, and the uh, Iranians. And they constitute a risk. So to the extent that we are battling both our traditional enemies, Russia, and, and to a lesser extent, China. Um, uh, although, as time goes by, that's going to change. That tilt, that, that uh, uh, teeter-totter is going to change direction. We forget that we are also at risk from these smaller, less predictable actors. But you're absolutely right that we've forgotten a lot of the history that we experienced. But in this shrinking world we live in, we need to find a different paradigm. And it is not it is not patting them on the head and saying, now, now, there, there, we, if, if we ask nicely, will you change your behavior? We need to be firm. Uh, and tariffs were a very weak response that hurt our economy more than China's. And not sanctioning the, the holy bejeebers out of the Russians in concert with our friends in, in Western Europe, our NATO allies, or pulling out of Syria with six weeks' notice to the Kurds who have fought with us since 2003, you know, and thought and bled and we're going to leave them high and dry is not how you make long-term 
alliances or how you exercise an alliance that so wants to be on the U.S.'s side as NATO. If you use NATO appropriately, the economic power of, of the United States, NATO, and the Organization of American States would have a, a huge corrective um, uh, influence on China's behavior. But that takes diplomacy, and over the last two presidencies, we haven't been real good at that. So now what we've done is we've demonstrated to China and Russia that when they get together... You know, they used to be arch enemies. When Nixon opened China, the, the thing that the Chinese feared the most was Russia. Today, our intelligence um, apparatus tells us that the relationship of Russia and China is closer than it has been in any time in history. That's not beneficial to us, Craig. That oh. means we need to work harder on our alliances and it means we need to make sure that we don't lose in Venezuela. It, it makes it imperative. I don't want to sound like a warmonger because I'm not. Uh, but it does make it imperative that we exercise the Monroe Doctrine when it comes to Venezuela. Because the two biggest financial backers of our buddies in Venezuela, okay, are the Chinese, to whom the Venezuelans owe in excess of $60 billion worth of oil, and the Russians, who now have bombers landing in Venezuelan airfields. Yeah, the the technical term is too close for comfort. Uh, this is, uh, you know, while while it might seem a, a, a million miles away, it isn't. It literally is our our back door. And 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 sadly, yet once again, you you point out to a bigger picture here that historically we've had a difficult time choosing upsides, meaning we, we oftentimes confuse who our friends are, who our enemies are. What do they say? You know, keep your friends close, your enemies even closer. And and sometimes we, we end up blurring those lines. And before you know it, we're, we're at war with people that have been friends of ours, and we're being friendly with people that are still our enemies. They've just how, somehow convinced us of the other for the moment. And to see the number of occasions in just the last 30 years that we've done this flip-flop, and those that have been our arch enemy for years suddenly now we're cozy-cozy with, all having been forgotten, all having been forgiven, not recognizing that the opportunity for the serpent to rear its ugly head and bite us remains a constant. Visiting today with Joyce Cordy. Joyce, of course, is the host of Reimagine America. Her program can be heard each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. That's our sister station. You can check out her program. Lots of good insights, a fresh approach to the headline news, and oftentimes uh, where on many of the Sunday morning talking head programs you hear nothing but talk about what's wrong, very few that present ideas that are solution-oriented. Joyce actually brings her business experience and business acumen in the corporate world to the table and talks not just the issues, not just the problems, but most importantly, 
potential answers. Again, that's Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. We take a time out. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Joyce Cordy. When we come back, let's talk a bit about some aspects of the State of the Union address and the almost overnight response by Congress. That is this edition of Lifeline continues. 532 on the clock. Once again, an update for you traffic-wise over at the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett, what's going on over there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to the conversation, 535, the Thursday edition of Lifeline, breaking down some of the details and sort of the uh, the Monday morning quarterbacking taking place on Tuesday, well, actually Thursday, for those of you keeping track, <laughs> related to the State of the Union address and, and most critically, some of the response. Joyce Gordy is with us, host of Reimagine America, heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer, information, resources, podcast, you'll find it all on her informative website at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. One of the sort of standout lines out of the State of the Union address on Tuesday evening, Joyce, was the president's observation that we're experiencing, quote, the best economy in history. And the one thing that could stop that or the list of things that could stop that would be, and I'm quoting here, foolish wars, politics and endless investigations. And he went on to sort of uh, assert in that State of the Union address his displeasure without naming the Mueller investigation, assert his displeasure with what he's now terming presidential harassment. I suppose we should have seen the handwriting on the wall that not 24 hours after those remarks that um, we saw a new investigation now launched into both potential Russian ties and the president's personal finances. Um, We know that um, Congressman Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, has announced a five-point investigation. Uh, Certainly the president tweeting immediately that he sees no reason for the investigation, calling it, again, unlimited presidential harassment. Um, What do you make of all of this? I mean, I, I suppose even without the president's remarks in the State of the Union address, we saw this coming. They've been talking about it since the election in November. Well, we saw it coming. I mean, everybody said the day after the election, oh, now they're going to have investigations. Oh, they have to be careful not to over-investigate and not legislate. And I think they're erring toward the um, over-investigate and not legislate. Now, there are some great pieces of legislation that have been introduced in the House. Um, One involves Social Security that I'm really interested in, and um, and I think it's a reasonable approach, one that they had a hearing today about improving the background check process that got completely derailed by someone um, pontificating, a Florida congressman, right, in front of the Parkland parents saying, well, uh, a southern border wall is more important to, you know, to preventing gun violence than uh, background checks. Um and when you get beyond that, then you, you looked at uh, Congressman Schiff, at Adam Schiff, as he was sitting there listening to the president the other night, and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you think so? Um, and and what, what upsets me about the whole thing is, um, you know, I think um, Adam Schiff is, 
is politically astute. I mean, he wants to run for the U.S. Senate when a seat becomes available, okay? Um, and so you've got to make your name. You've got to, you know, notch the, your belt. Uh, the same is true of Ted Lieu. Um, the same is true of Eric Caldwell. Um, but when you start saying, well, we want to investigate Russian collusion in the election, we want to investigate, you know, Russian intelligence activities in the in the election, you know, and then you start going down these rabbit holes of the president's finances, et cetera, okay, I'm sorry, but we have spent gazillions of dollars and 18 months on the Mueller investigation, whose job it is, without political infection, to determine the extent of Russian involvement in the 2016 election. And out of that, I would hope some lessons learned that would prevent it from happening, although Christopher Ray says they were here in 2018. Um, and, and, and that we would then say, okay, we know Mueller is relatively close to being done so you know let us worry about improving health care driving down the cost of, of of prescription drugs investigating corruption within the existing administration and boy there's enough of that you know uh talking about regulatory performance and the other issues and national defense and you want to talk about something that Congress needs to exercise more control over? It's national security. Because the issues that you and I have just talked about with China and Russia are not lost on the Senate Majority Leader or the Senate Minority Leader. They're not lost on Nancy Pelosi, and they're not lost on Kevin McCarthy. They are lost in the White House. They're not lost on Mike Pompeo. You know, they're not lost on Dan Coates. They are lost in the White House. So it is up to the Article One powers that be to now exercise um, reasonable supervision of Article Two, which is the responsibility of exercising uh, the laws of the land. So when he doesn't enforce sanctions against Russia, it is up to Congress to double down on that. Okay, but all of these investigations to now spin up a whole big investigation again of all the things that Mueller's already investigating is going to cost the American taxpayer millions and millions and millions of dollars, staff and time and 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 you know what? It's going to sell a lot of commercials. I wish somebody would you know buy a few on mine on my show. Um, it, but it's going to sell a million commercials on television. It's going to keep these talking heads in business. It's not going to get your your prescription drug prices decreased, and we all care about that. It's not going to come to a realistic solution in terms of how we rebuild a crumbling infrastructure, and that's a national security priority. Well, and this is what struck me by even the announcement as I as I read yesterday the the five key points of the investigation, I thought to myself other than maybe a deeper expansion into Trump organization finances or the president's personal um, uh, 1040, um, this seems to almost be 
Bob Mueller investigation volume two, as if to suggest what? That they anticipate, as, as it seems, that within the next 30 days, the Mueller report will be complete, uh, that they're, they're not thinking that he's going to come up with anything significant other than what we've already seen, probably, you know, the, the, the best known indictment outside of the president's former lawyer being that of Roger Stone. So they're figuring, let's, let's do it again. I mean, there, there does seem to be that thin line between prosecuting the president for crimes and simply persecuting the president because you don't like his agenda. Let me put it in slightly different terms, because I agree with you. I disagree that I think Mueller will be done in a couple of weeks, and I disagree that we are at the top of the, if you if you saw any of the transcript discussion of the Manafort hearing today, um, we're not done. You have to read all those transcripts, and they talk about co-conspirators known and unknown to the grand jury, and those co-conspirators are Americans. Um, so... We need to, or we can, or are speculated to be Americans. Let me be, you know, journalistically clean. Okay, so the the thing that frustrates me is the Southern District of New York is has the treasurer of the of the Trump organization under an immunity deal. Who do you think is going to get the goods? The Southern District of New York, notorious for their ability to to uh, prosecute um, corruption cases, both public and private corruption cases. And um, who do you think is going to get the goods, them or Adam Schiff in a congressional hearing when you have no prosecutorial power? And if we believe that the president's done something wrong, something that would deserve impeachment a year before a, a presidential election, then then Schiff's uh, uh, intelligence committee is the wrong committee. The committee of jurisdiction is Nadler's uh, judiciary committee, and because that's where the articles of impeachment have to come out of. And the difference between the two men is that Nadler wants to get to the bottom of what's been happening, including the you know possible corruption, et cetera. And Adam Schiff wants to notch his um, belt for a run at higher office. And I'm sorry, I don't want to spend an additional $100 million or so on helping Adam Schiff get to the next political step on the ladder. Not that I don't think that Schiff is a really competent person. He is. He's a great prosecutor. But don't duplicate what the Department of Justice and the FBI have been doing with incredible um, in, incredible due diligence, and they have all the sources. It's like Chris Christie said this week. When you got Michael Cohn, you have a, a tour guide through the t- Trump administration, and they've now delayed his testimony uh, at the, for the convenience of the prosecutors. So DOJ was the one that wanted to postpone his planned testimony toward the end of the month okay so i think before the end of the month now here i'm going to go out on a limb we're going to see a much clearer picture not out of Mueller necessarily because he's got a terabyte of data to go through from the stone um uh arrest and search warrant but and and he's also got to go through all those seven thousand um pages of transcripts of um 
testimony before Congress to see how many more people lied to Congress. But where we're going to see something, I suspect, is out of the Southern District of New York. What happens if the Southern District of New York uh, decides to take action, or the state of New York takes action against any of the Trump kids for their involvement in the Trump Foundation? Well, which may prove uh, the recklessness of getting the the family involved. Um, You know, there were a lot of concerns about nepotism, and did this necessarily uh, represent getting the best and the brightest or just keeping them, you know, the, the family employed. And I know that's not the singular motivation here, but it, but it opens up all of these other doors, which otherwise would be tightly closed to the Schiff Intelligence Committee or anyone else, for that matter, that just wanted to sort of casually poke around. And it does smack of terrific potential degrees of wasted time and energy, particularly since, as you point out, the, the, the Southern District office is in and of itself an investigative and prosecutorial organization. The United States Congress, and specifically this committee, is not built of that same uh, cloth. That is not primarily what they do. And so now to try to take on this role, uh, you're right, is going to create not just a distraction at that level, but through the entirety of Congress. And suddenly then we see two years of just spinning wheels. And now all of a sudden, the 106th looks a lot like the 105th. We'll take a time out, come back to more of our conversation. Much more to discuss tonight. We are always privileged to have join us on the program for her insights. Joyce Cordy, founder and president of Reimagine America. Her program, check it out Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The answer, it's called Reimagine America. We'll get back to more of our conversation. Details on the web at reimagineamerica.org. Traffic now, 10 away from the hour. Michael Bennett, how far away are we from getting home in the driveway? Tell us. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back to the conversation. Joyce Cordy, you can check her out every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer, where she is the host of Reimagine America, an insightful program that gets down to not just the problems and challenges facing our nation every day, but most importantly, solutions. Reimagine America. That's reimagineamerica.org. The program Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. Uh, Joyce, so what of this notion? This could end up being a huge spinning wheel then, as you're suggesting, which means investigations take a lot of time, cost millions of dollars, keep the talking heads pretty busy. Certainly we'll give everybody from MSNBC to CNN and uh, Fox lots to talk about for the next two years. But is it really going to reveal anything? Are we going to get any new information that we perhaps wouldn't find out from the Mueller investigation? Oh, I think so. I'm with Chris Christie. The the real danger is um, the linkage between um, what the Mueller investigation is going to show um, uh, and 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 the reflection there of just the dirty kind of business that big you know international development is. Uh, the corruption there, there to pertaining, but also the fact that Trump didn't put his business interests into a blind trust. 
may become his downfall because the Southern District of, of New York is singularly focused. Just think how many uh, governors of New York have passed through that office or mayors of New York City. And, um, you know, I mean, you do know that Christie's direct route to the governor's mansion in very blue as a Republican, an unrepentant Republican, in very blue New Jersey was through the uh, uh, being the just the southern the the uh, federal attorney for um, the majority. I think it's called the Southern District of New Jersey, um, and he prosecuted hundreds of public corruption cases. Well, a lot hundreds. of these ca- the cast of characters have got experience in that arena, up to and including even the president's TV lawyer Rudy Giuliani, who was also a prosecutor. Not to mention his, the president's number one advisor, Jared Kushner, um, has direct experience with what happens when a really good federal attorney comes, uh, federal uh, um, attorney office comes after you. So so and, from the perspective of Adam Schiff, this could be um, we gotchas, this could be uh, comeuppance from a purely partisan viewpoint, but from a prosecutorial standpoint in the Southern District Office, this can be, gee, wouldn't you like to be the guy who wears the badge saying you got the president and what an incredible stepping stone that is to you name the career. You want to head into politics. You want to run your own firm. What would you like to do? It's all right there. And and there, that's that's like hanging raw meat out before a hungry lion. Well, it's worse than that. Remember that on that committee, you have 11 Democrats and nine Republicans. At the Southern District of New York, you have a singular focus. You're all on the same team. And, and so, just, you know, set aside their individual ambitions. Uh, this is a team mission, and they've got lots and lots of friends who are making a ton of money being talking heads on television who are all too willing to help them. And so, just from, from to me, as a, as a voter, okay, I think things like, and I'm going to try to get Anna S. to come on my show. Um, I think this little Social Security uh, initiative that she is a co-sponsor of is a wonderful idea that would protect Social Security to the end of the 21st century. And it would do it for like 50 cents. I think that kind of legislation that really moves forward the, um, the welfare of the shrinking middle class, disappearing middle class of America, is, is where the focus should be. And, and all this talk about Medicare for all that we cannot afford and stuff like that needs to be, you know, Nancy Pelosi says, I'm going to have hearings on Medicare for all. I'm going to let them have the hearing because I want them to understand it's not possible. And I think the press plays into this again cable television and i'm sorry i sometimes watch some of these shows um are are, you know it's entertaining it's almost like the romans and the and the uh gladiators so this really comes Uh, down to being the circus sideshow 
uh, without regard to how sincere Adam Schiff may wish to come across or Pelosi at all, this really becomes the sideshow to where the real serious work is being done, and quite frankly, not capturing. It's not. It's not romantic. It's. It's not. Uh, uh, not. Not. Not uh, in any way endearing to see what's going on in the Southern District Court. But there, in fact, or the prosecutor's office. But there, in fact, is where you say we need to keep a close eye. And remember, yes, and remember, the number one issue that voters voted on was health care, the cost of health care. So if Congress would focus on on working with the private sector to make health care delivery more efficient, that's less expensive, and getting the prescription drug racket fixed, then we'd have something to score them on. Well, and certainly I think the the other notion here, too, is that in two years' time we're going to be to another presidential election, another third of uh, Congress is going to be up for, um, the Senate, rather, going to be up for re-election and and half the Congress. And you look at that and say, okay, uh, that can be deemed as a scorecard on the president's work, and what he's accomplished or failed to accomplish over the last four years. But it's also an opportunity for voters to send a message to Congress and say, hey, we sent you to Washington, D.C. to get some things done. You're not getting anything done. You're not concentrating on the agenda. Many of the pollsters said what drove folks to the polls last November was focusing on this issue of health care as we continue to be caught down and bogged down in the mire of uh, the Affordable Care Act and, and so many failures there to, to get a handle on pricing, deal with drug expenses, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there, is a, there is a larger piper to be paid here from what I'm hearing that you're saying, and that if Congress, whether you love the president or can't stand him, if Congress gets bogged down in nothing but endless um, investigations, while that may not bode well for the president, and the president suggesting it may not bode well for the economy, I think the jury is still out on that one. But at the end of the day, you're suggesting that it, ultimately it may not bode well for Congress. Oh, I, I, I hope so. I, you know, that, that's the, the thing that boggles my mind. And it's something I talk about on my show and, and in the blogs as well, which is, we need to hold the members of Congress, as well as the president, accountable for doing our business. Uh, and that begins with the national security issues that we've just talked about. Um, and it follows through with, if you told me you were going to work on health care, then work on health care. Let the experts in the Justice Department don't uh, millions of my dollars, Craig's dollars, your dollars, listeners, and... And and money we don't have on on investigations that only duplicate what the experts are doing. And at the end of the day, again, that that can that can be not only very distractive, but ultimately derail any kind of positive agenda. And maybe the important reminder for everyone here, all of the cast of characters, is uh, you, you weren't sent to Washington D.C. to do the bidding of the Republicans or of the Democrats. Uh, you were sent to Washington D.C. to do the bidding of your constituents and the people that you represent. And while you might wear an R or a 
D after your name and affiliate with that party, and folks that affiliate that with that party might be the, 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 the primary group of people that help put you in office. At the end of the day, and I've, I've said this from the very beginning, whether it be Barack Obama or President Trump or George Washington, for that matter, once you get elected for office, your constituency is not the people that voted to put you there. It's everybody that resides within your realm of influence. If you're a member of Congress, that means you're, it's your district. If you're a member of the Senate, that means the state. And if you're the president of the United States, it means the whole country. And uh, it, it would probably behoove uh, Adam Schiff and company to be very mindful of the potential can of worms being opened here. And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to endear myself to the Trump administration or don't think that there's not any there there. Uh, there certainly seems to be an abundance of evidence to suggest that there's plenty of there there. That said, though, um, is it really the job of Congress to get lost in this distraction and as a result, spend the next two years spinning its wheels in a circus sideshow and not getting the work of the people accomplished? I'd like to thank Joyce Cordy for being with us. Of course, you can catch her program and further musings at Reimagine America, Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Information, too, on podcast and her fine work on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. 602, we're late. Let's get caught up on traffic. Maybe you're stuck in traffic and you're late, too. So what's the road ahead look like? Michael Bennett tells all from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.